slid back when like a child running wild in the outside you got older older hi Blythe hi Erin I'm gonna sit a little closer oh yeah get in here how are you good I'm loving the summer summer has officially started as of yesterday right yeah uh, Friday. Friday beautiful long days and some great teen summer movies. Yeah. I watched all of these. No. Yeah, I watched all these this weekend. And it got me in like a mood. Same. Same, same, same. So, to not to bury the lead, but we are doing uh, Teen Paradise this week. I actually have an alternative Ooh, name. please. We found love in a hopeless place. That's very good. Which, yes. didn't, I didn't even mean, I thought of that before we just talked about the Rihanna video. The Rihanna, Seth Meyers, drinking game. Yeah. Yeah. But I do feel like all these people find self-love in a hopeless place. God, you're so right. Uh, so the movies that we're doing today are Kings of Summer, Moonrise Kingdom, and... The Way, Way Back. Which are all summer vacation movies. Mm-hmm. Summer independence, find, finding your own way movies. Long days. And just great shots of kids jumping into rivers and being in the woods. You could feel the humidity. Totally. Ugh. And the mist. And the sunblock. Yes. Although I don't think any of them use sunblock. Also, this is Smile You Love Us. Oh, yeah. I don't hey, know said welcome that. to our podcast. You know. You if know you found us. us by now, you're here. You know us. We talk about teen movies, what they mean to us, and their impact on pop culture as a whole. Yep. And right now, it's, I think teen movies are just having a moment. Yes, and I think that when we get into some of these movies and we start talking about the cast of some of these movies and what they've done in like the six years since they've come out, we'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, teen teen time. I there were just so many actors that I recognized from various teen TV shows that I watched that I was like, oh really? Oh, this really? is where you got started. Yes, and this is actually the second teen teen esque. Movie. We bent the rules a little bit because they're 12. Yeah. In Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. But this is our second Wes Anderson movie. Yes. Which I didn't think that he would be the first person we would double down on. I know. Is he? I think he is. Yeah. Amazing. But I think we're at the end of the line with him. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be doing like... He doesn't do a lot of teen Mm -mm. films. Most of them are very adult. Yeah. So... But should we get started with... Will you talk, talk, talk to us about Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah, absolutely. So, as we said, Moonrise Kingdom is a Wes Anderson film. It uh, came out in 2012. It fe- features two newcomers. It stars two newcomers, Jared Gilman and Kara Hayward, as the two... I guess I was thinking of them as teenagers, but they're really... like They're new, preteens. They're yeah, pretty hormonal. preteens. Um, although they get kind of hormonal. Yeah. They're definitely <laughs> hormonal. Uh, and they play Sam Sakushki and Susie Bishop. And they fall in love um, sort of by happenstance. They live on this really small island off the coast of New England called New Penzance. And Sam's an orphan. And Susie Bishop is the only daughter of these two pretty amazing characters uh two lawyers played by bill murray and francis mcdormand and she Mm -hmm. has three i guess they're triplets triplets brothers yeah and she's like very misunderstood she's very dark 
and her family thinks that she's got a lot of anger issues, which she clearly she does. does. <laughs> when you see a flashback of all of the trouble she's gotten into at school. So they meet at some, there's some town orchestra putting on this like very complicated opera about Noah's Ark. And they meet in the dressing room. Such a Wes Anderson thing to do. So it's amazing. Uh, and they meet in the dressing room because Sam has snuck away and he sees her. She's dressed like a raven. They lock eyes and then she gives him his, her address and they become pen pals. So while Sam is attending Camp Ivanhoe, which is, they call them khaki scouts, which is so scouts. cute, but they're boy scouts, he decides he's going to run away and he wants Susie to join him. So he's at one end of the island, she's at the other. They kind of meet in the middle and then they go on this amazing camping adventure and meanwhile the whole town is looking for both of them mm-hmm. including uh scoutmaster randy ward <laughs> played, by. played by ed norton in maybe the role of his life uh, amazing <laughs> screw fight club man rice kingdom is the best edward norton we've got and there's a, it's just very wes anderson the every you know every down to every accessory every patch every piece of clothing and this is a fully realized yeah. Wes Anderson. It's a fictional place. It also takes place in the 60s, like 1965. Yeah. So he's really trying to be of a totally different time, place, everything. It's almost as if he's creating his own world that doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to deal with, like, reality. Which, he does, yeah. <laughs> Which is very Wes That's Anderson. <laughs> like, the town, there are no cars. Everyone gets their mail delivered by seaplane. Mm-hmm. It's, like, very... Blythe would like to move. I would. Like, it's very idyllic, but also, like, ass It's a fairy tale. It makes, like, no sense. So, they're on the run, and they have a few run-ins with different people. Like, one one point, the khaki scouts come after them. Uh, the leader of this gang of khaki scouts, played by Lucas Hedges. Yeah. Who, in, I think his first role. I mean, I think big so movie too. role. Yeah. And he's great as this, like terrible villain but he gets stabbed in the hand by Susie Bishop no in the back oh in the back that's right he gets stabbed in the back with left-handed scissors <laughs> that's right which they say many times yeah and has to get like taken off of the island to like the hospital it's it's pretty hilarious but the big issue is that their runaway or like their plan to run away happened the same weekend that there was a gigantic hurricane hurricane Maybelline so there's this violent hurricane and flash flood, and they have to, like, run to the steeple, which is where Sharp finds them, and it's the church where they first met mm-hmm. for that Noah's Ark opera. Because it's the uh, highest point or Yeah, something. it's like the safe yeah. haven, the, the designated whatever. And since Sam's an orphan, his, his um, foster parents have said they don't want him to come home. Because he keeps really sad. Shit. Yeah. So, um, Master Sharp, what is, Camp Master. Scoutmaster. Scoutmaster Sharp uh, decides to become Sam's legal guardian and allows him to stay on New Penzance. And Wait, you're Sam's leaving out Bruce Willis entirely. Oh, Bruce Willis plays the police chief who yeah. uh, is also having an affair with Susie's mom, Frances McDormand. Yeah. And he. <laughs> There's one point where Susie is, says she hates her mom, and her mom says, don't say that. And she goes, I hate you. You're, I know you're sleeping with that dumb policeman. That dumb, sad that policeman. That dumb, sad policeman. 
And she's like, he's not dumb. He is very sad. Yeah, it's great. Tilda Swinton is also in it. Yeah, she plays the head of social services. Harvey Keitel is in it. As like I mean, a crotchety old camp master. It's very... It's all of your superstars you love from Wes Anderson Right, and so now when we get a Wes Anderson movie, it feels like the biggest thing to be announced when a movie, when a Wes Anderson movie comes out is, like, the the billing, like, who's in this movie. Yeah, of course, right. And the posters just, like, run out of space for people's names. Yeah. I don't have too many fun facts for this film, other than it's, like, a totally fictionalized uh, setting, and that they... There's been a lot written about it, how this is sort of like a blue lagoon for a new generation. Yes. Which is interesting because that's a film we were going to do, but we decided against it because, one, it's just not a very good movie, and two, I didn't want to watch it because I knew how uncomfortable it would make me. Yeah, it's a Bridget, or um, Brooke Shields, and I don't know the kid's name, but they're in like a very preteen sexual relationship. It's like very 70s. Yeah. And they're also, they play cousins. Yeah. Who gets shipwrecked. Yeah. So it deals with that child, like, sexuality and coming of age and, like... um, Fending for yourself. Fending for yourself and having to run away from these adults that just, like, do not understand at all and are you're so misunderstood and you just want to be your own person and find yourself. And I... It's a lovely film. It is. I saw it twice when it came out that summer. Oh my god, you did? You saw it in theaters? Mm -hmm. I didn't see it in theaters. I wish I had. I saw it in theaters because I just graduated college and I was like living in California and I saw it like once with a friend and once with my aunt who was like, I don't remember the order, but I remember being like, no, I'll definitely see this movie in theaters again. Nice. And it's funny because when I was talking about rewatching it, Matt said that he was like, I feel like I've seen that movie like six or seven times. <laughs> Matt, of all people, I know. That's amazing. Um, but it's just like, the, the jokes in it are really good. The little kids have great comedic timing. Yeah. Great and it's, movie. again, it, it imagines this town where everyone's obsessed with like Benjamin Britten yes. orchestral arrangements and Noah's Ark themed operas. And it's just very well done. Yeah. Okay, then we're going to move on now to Kings of Summer. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2013, so the winter after Moonrise Kingdom would have come out. It has kind of a, a stacked comedy cast and now, like, teen player cast. So Nick Robinson plays the main character of Joe, who's our protagonist. He's also in Love, Simon. Yeah, and he is... He also, before I realized that he was in Love, Simon, because before I, like, pulled up on my phone, I was like, he looks like a, like... Better looking Sean Mendez. Oh wow! I think he's like a like I don't I'm not attracted to Sean Mendez or his like whole vibe. I just don't really understand teen girls' love of Sean Mendez. Yeah, they are obsessed with him. Though. I don't get it like at all, like at all. Uh, anyways, he I think he's like a handsomer. He's a more like human looking Sean yeah, Mendez. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he he's in this. Uh, he lives with his kind of bitter, very bitter, and abrasive father, played by Nick Offerman. Joe's best friend, Patrick, is played by this um, actor, Gabriel Basso, uh, who deals with incredibly overprotective, kooky parents. His mother being played by Megan Mullally, who in real life is married to Nick Offerman. Their, so, their scenes together are great. Great. Biting, short yeah. scenes. Yeah. So after a series of kind of like end of the school year frustrations and clashes with both of their parents, the boys, along with an eccentric, big hearted and like kind of alarming 
Like, I don't know how else to describe yeah. him. Yeah. I kind of, I almost was like, he's kind of like a Wes Anderson character. And then I was like, no, he's kind of like a David Lynch character. Yeah. Like, he's just kind of got this weird... This is Biagio, their, like, cocky sidekick. And so he's played by this actor, Moses Arias, and I looked up his IMDb page, and apparently he was on Hannah Montana. So he's, like, a teen king. Oh, he's a Disney Channel king. Yeah, he's a Disney Channel That makes a lot of sense, because his comedic timing is, like, very Disney. Yeah. Yes. He has a lot of, like... He waits for it to not be funny before he moves on to the next joke. Yeah. Um, So the three boys set out to and accomplish building a house in the middle of the woods. They run away um, from home and send their families into a panic while they live in this kind of ramshackle tree house. Um, things take a turn when Kelly, when Joe invites his crush, Kelly, who's played by this actress, Erin Mor- Moriarty, into the woods, and she ends up falling for Patrick instead. I actually thought Erin Moriarty was like pretty good actress, and I was like, why? where have you gone? Yeah. Because she's really cute. I know. Um... And she took a role that, like, kind of could have been a bit of, like, a bitch and made her, like, you, you weren't really angry with her either. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, it's not a particularly fleshed out role. We know nothing about her, but I just kind of liked her. And I thought she was just, like, really pretty and natural on screen. I feel like she's been in something else big that I'm... I don't know. So then there's a big fight between Pat and Joe that results in kind of the fracturing of this paradise they've built. And so Pat goes home. Um, we know that they've been in the woods for about a month. Uh, Biagio leaves as well. And Joe then is on his own in the woods and ends up displaying a lot of similarities with his dad's anger and way of treating people and, you know, closing himself off from the world. Um, then the film kind of wraps up after there are, in my personal opinion, too many fucking snakes on the television screen. <laughs> As someone, I think I've talked about this before, either on pod or to you personally. Yes. I hate snakes. I was like hiding behind my dog watching this. Because like, Aww. they make, like, I know, you know when the snake is off the screen because of the music cues that mm-hmm. change. And so like, I didn't watch the entire, I was just covering my eyes. Wow. Um, so it kind of, it ends with Joe... It's kind of a convoluted thing, and I actually recommend that people kind of watch this movie, so I don't really want to wrap it up for yeah. you, but it does end with a bit of self-acceptance, a bit of accepting the way that you behave impacting others, accepting that, like, you only get one family, yeah. even if it sucks, you gotta stick it out, um, on both ends of the child and parent spectrum, yeah. you know, you only get one kid, and you can't treat them like shit. Um, yeah, it's, it was a great summer movie and a great teen movie. The film was a first time feature for the screenwriter, Chris Galletta, who's written literally nothing since, wow, except he's now writing the Sesame Street movie. Ooh. Quite a departure. Sign me up. I know. This is the Sesame Street movie with Anne Hathaway, too. Oh, great. I can't wait. So if the screenplay had been on the Hollywood Blacklist in 2009, which is like the like list the, of unproduced screenplays that are like great. Yeah. And like the social network was also on that list that year. Like it was like a big year for those movies to get made. Um, then the director, jo- Jordan Voight Roberts, direct this guy, Jordan Wright, Jordan Voight Roberts directed it. Um, and he was like a big, funnier die producer. Oh, that makes sense. Director. So it, it does, it really checks out. 
He's since gone on to make Kong Island, which was like one of the worst movies that's come in the last 10 years. <laughs> Watch it on a plane. Uh, yeah. Uh, fall asleep to it on a plane. But he's also directed a lot of episodes of You're the Worst. Oh, God. That's um, such a good show. And then Nick Offerman's special, American Ham. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, a fact about the production of this is Voight Roberts, the director, was said to employ this, like, cinema veritas style of directing. Um, so, he, like, would try and loosen the boys up and do a lot of improv with them, and then he would have a secret word with the crew, so they would start filming, and that's a lot of the footage that he uses in those kind of, like, um, ambiance. And those, like, dreamy of, yeah. scenes. Oh, they're so good. They're so good, and that's a style that um, John Mark Vallee employs a lot, and John Mark Vallee is probably... Of Big Little Lies. Of Big Little Lies, of Sharp Objects, of Wild, of Dallas Buyers yeah. Club. He's a he's a having kind of a huge five years. Good for him, because those are all great projects. Yeah. But that's how people kind of know that style, so... Totally. Where the director isn't really directing, they're just kind of like telling the actors to embody it. And I think that, I mean, I can't imagine that it's particularly, I wouldn't have a hard time having a great time in the woods on camera, but I just thought that the performances were so good and really tuned into that kind of natural Oh, you felt like you were there. I really did, yeah. Um, There are some, yeah, I I said, I wrote in my notes, it had a dreamlike quality. Totally. Um, there are some really interesting cameos. Yeah, there are. Kumal Nanjani is in it. In probably, like, the best bit. The best, yeah, the Comedic best bit. bit of the film, for sure. Um, Tony Hale is in it. Lily Reinhart of is in Riverdale it. Of Riverdale fame. And she looks great. She does look great. She's so young in this, though. She's gotta be, like, 14 in this. I love her in Riverdale. Thomas Middleditch is in it. And Alison Brie is in it. So I do kind of get a lot of the comedy people. One, if like Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman are signed up for something, you probably blindly follow them. Yeah. And two, with like the funnier die pedigree, it makes sense. Um, we've talked about the other actors, but I want to talk for a minute about Gabriel Basso because I thought he was really good. I thought he had kind of like that leading man totally. quality. And he hasn't really been in much, right. which kind of bummed me out. But then I went on his IMDb page, and he's going to have a really big break in a few years because he plays G- J.D. Vance in Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, so that is going to be so good. Yeah. He's going to have, like, a Lucas Hedges catapult, I think. Wonderful, because he was amazing. He was great. He was amazing. Yeah. Just really strong and Very charming, handsome. but not... Not like in the Miles Teller, like, Mm-mm. wink, wink, I'm so good looking, don't you want to hang out with me? Yeah, I don't know if there's anyone who's, like, like him. I, I don't think, I think that, and maybe once we see more characters played by this actor, we'll have a different opinion. Yeah. But I think that that, I mean, he's a complete unknown in this, and so you can't put anything right, on him. Right, and He was giving me, like, Brendan Fraser in school time. Yeah, vibes. yeah, he has that... Because he's tall and he's, like, jacked. But, like, that's, like, kind of one of the funny bits that they did is, like, playing with his muscles. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But he, like, doesn't really, like, know or care. And it's just kind of, like... He's still very awkward in his body. Even though he's, like, looks like a very strapping young man. He's, like, very insecure in a lot of ways. He didn't really remind me of anyone, which feels weird because I feel like there's just, like, a lot of characters like him that exist in the real world. I thought that was so cool. He didn't remind me of anyone either. And I I was like, this is a star. Yeah. That's what you, yeah. that's the quality of 
of new breakout yeah. is that you can't think of anyone else that reminds you of them. It's true. So so we, I like firmly recommend. I do too. I had, I had seen part of it before and I can't remember. I think it was like, it was at my mom's house and I was home and it was on one of those like movie channels. Mm. And I remember catching like, just like the middle and being mm. like, this is a movie for me. Yeah. And then never like remembering to go and finish it or whatever. So I don't know how other people have seen it. I don't, I, I haven't heard much talk about it. I remember, because I was working at Tribeca when it came out, that people were taught, when it came out of Sundance, and so it was like one of the bigger acquisitions that year, or like more star power things, so I remember it being like discussed, and hearing people talk about it, um, but that's kind of it. Like yeah. I, I just had like a awareness, it was like on my radar, but yeah. I didn't see it. Um, and I, I... In reading reviews prior to watching it, I thought that it was going to be, like, a lot more depressing than it was. Yeah. Because the reviews are, like, abusive dad. And it's like, he's not abusive. No, I mean, the saddest thing is that his mom has passed, and that's why he and his dad are struggling so much. Right. And that's why his dad is so angry and, and like, emotionally stunted. And right. that's why he is so angry and emotionally stunted. Just that one is a teenager who lost his mom, and one is a father of two who's lost his wife and yes. they're both dealing with that loss in very almost the exact same way but for very from different angles yeah they're in, in opposition to each other instead of with each other yeah and if there's one thing Blythe and I know about grief <laughs> you should never you're not mad at anybody <laughs> you're mad at everything but you're yeah. not mad at anybody so too bad yeah I loved it um I loved it. Mm. It's definitely now part of my, like, feeling a summer mood movie, which I tend to watch in, like, February more than the oh, summer. Oh, that's, really, that's <laughs> same. Like, unless I go see a summer movie in the theaters during the summer, right. I'm usually watching those summer movies, like... In the dead of winter. Yeah, when you just yeah. need to feel the sun on your skin again. Yeah. <laughs> Two of the big ones we'll get to... Um, we'll get to them eventually are Spectacular Now and... Calling by Your Name that yeah. are just like su- summer teen heart movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I always you watch can, those. Like, feel like, how humid it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to feel the warmth. Um, okay, so now we'll talk about The Way Way Back, which also came out in the summer of 2013. Um, also from first time directors. Uh, it explores similar themes of shitty dads and needing to get away from them, or parents that you are frustrated with and need to get away from them. We meet Duncan, played by Liam James, who's also, he's he was in a lot before this, I guess, and since this, he's in the sci-fi series Deadly Class with Lana Condor. Ooh. Lana Condor. I know her. Um, so he's literally in the way, way back of his mom's station wagon, headed to a beach vacation. His mom is played by Tony Collette. His mom's boyfriend, Trent, is played by such a jerk, Steve Carell. Uh, who really establishes what a jerk he is from the get-go, especially compared against Duncan's complete lack of confidence. So I actually want to read the first paragraph of the review from RogerEbert.com. This is written by Matt Zoller Seitz. Uh, It just sums up Duncan so well. The hero of The Way Way Back is named Duncan. He's 14. He has the posture of a boiled shrimp. (laughs) 
He walks like an old man with an untreated hernia. He rarely speaks, and not because he has nothing to say, but because he's terrified of sounding stupid, immature, or uncool. He's one of the most physically awkward young men in the history of coming-age movies, and if you've ever even seen a couple of examples from this genre, you know what an achievement this is. <laughs> As written by the filmmaking team of Nat, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, who are the screenwriters of The Descendants, and performed by star Liam James, the kid is as hard to watch as he is easy to sympathize with. At times, he seems on the verge of literally crawling out of his own skin and leaving a husk behind. That's that's Duncan. Brilliant. That is our. Duncan. That is exactly it. So I also want to pause um, and say that in watching the first four minutes of this movie, an alarm went off in my head, and I was like, "Where did they film this?" And it turns out they did film it in the town next to where I grew up. And oh so God. I knew that Steve Carell had filmed a movie in Marshfield, Massachusetts because he's from, or his wife is from the South Shore and I went to high school with her nephews. Wow. So, what, and that was like peak office like thing. Yeah. So I knew that they were like, had Massachusetts ties and he owns, Steve Carell now owns like an old timey general store in Marshfield. Of course he does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so I've spent, like, many summers in my life at these exact beaches, and I know these types of people in this movie, even though I was a local and not a summer resident. Mm. Um, and there's definitely, like, a divide between those people in this course, movie. Of course, yeah. Um, and it made me very nostalgic for, like, humidity and riding bikes and, like, just being able to walk around in tank tops. And the beach. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I, it made me really nostalgic. Um, when they arrive at their beach house, they're greeted by their neighbor, who is played by Allison Janney, in a all-time role. Yeah, a all-time Allison role. Janney character. She's a divorced mom in who wears like a lot of white denim. Um, her entire character, I think, can be summed up when she brings a small cocktail glass, a literal glass, in a too big for it koozie on a casual walk with her son. Yeah, like it's just this small moment. She also has this running bit about inviting herself on people's boats, which is just like. Yes. Yep. And mm-hmm. when we first meet her, she she has a drink in her hand. She walks up to the station wagon. She goes, yep, I'm off the wagon again. <laughs> Embrace it. <laughs> and she uses some line from AA to like... <laughs> she just... Allison Janney is just... For someone who's been in so many things and is such a strong character in everything she's in, she makes everything she's in feel fresh and funny and amazing. It was a really... And also, like, I... I think everyone knows an Alice and Janie character. Um, yeah. Everyone has that weird neighbor or aunt or oh, yeah. uh, okay. whatever <laughs> whatever it might be. I had many um, of those neighbors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of, I think the beach towns just mm-hmm. have them, mm-hmm. you know? That's a staple. Yeah, it really it's like is. like a barnacle. Well, maybe. Um, Aaron's like, your nautical knowledge is lacking. Barnacles, like... Aren't they always around on boats? Yeah. Just clinging? Yeah, but barnacles are, like, more unpleasant. I would would say that, like, a beach town's barnacle would be, like, the grumpy old drunk at the bar who's, like, picking fights. I would say that Allison Janney is, like... Like a fun barnacle. She's, like, the seagrass that cuts you when you don't wear sneakers. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. I did not grow up on a beach town. <laughs> uh, so we're introduced to Alice and Janie's character. 
Um, we're also introduced to her daughter, played by Anna Sophia Robb, and then Trent's daughter. I kind of felt both of these roles were completely irrelevant. I d- wish that they had been cut. Right. And I think that it would be better to just not represent women at all yeah. than to than to do it in such a shitty shell of a way. So um, th- that kind of sucked. So Trent, Steve Carell, then invites his friends over, Kip and Joan, played by Rob Cordery and Allison Pete. I can't watch anything now. Amanda Pete. Amanda Pete. Sorry. I can't watch anything now and, like, not be mad at Amanda Pete. And her husband for Game of Thrones. Why are you mad at Amanda Peach? She didn't write it. I don't know. I just feel like they're so fucking rich and like they just let us all down. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the movie we then find out that Trent is being a total jerk to Duncan. He's just like all about rules and respect and hey buddy, come back here. Um, but he's also cheating on Pam with um, Joan. Yeah. I also thought Tony Collette was a little underutilized in this movie. I agree. I mean, like, all of the female characters, even, like, Maya Maya Rudolph, Rudolph. are just sort of... Yeah, so we'll get to that. So then, as the summer's unfolding and we find out about this affair, Duncan has also been, quote-unquote, like, running away to work at WaterWiz, which is just a water park, um, after being taken in, befriending and being kind of taken under the wing of... An employee there named Owen, uh, played by Sam Rockwell, in a spectacular role. Um, Waterwiz is kind of like a subpar water park filled with characters who are like fun-loving and inclusive, but also like pretty big slackers. And Maya Rudolph plays Caitlin, who's Owen's like love interest, but also boss and I thought that it was a great Maya Rudolph performance because she could make like a paper bag funny, but it was just kind of like you don't really understand why they're dating. Why they're dating? Why she, someone like her who's clearly so smart, is running this like kind of dead end water park. Yeah. At the so at the end of the movie, when everything's kind of come to a head and there's a big fight between Trent and Duncan and his mom and it's a pretty ugly like family fight and he goes runs away to this, the this party at the water park, and um he stays the whole time and wakes up in the morning and has this conversation with Owen in which he says like you know I wish I could stay here forever and Owen's like no you don't like all you do in the winter is like paint houses and then bar back at a bar and talk to inanimate objects to like pass the time and (sighs) this is gonna get real dark um so I mean I grew like the town that I grew up in has full-time residents and there's like people who work in Boston and there's plenty of like industry among um people who live there but there's also definitely a culture of like fishermen or living for the summer and doing all these things so people who choose to stay there without like a plan because there's like plenty of people who stayed there and built beautiful lives for themselves but people who stay in coastal towns that have an influx of a population in the summer and they don't have a plan that is what happens. Yeah. Like, they do just kind of work these, like, odd jobs. And then it's also why there's a huge opioid problem in Massachusetts. Yikes. So, Owen kind of very Hollywood touches on that you don't really want to have your best life be, like, I mean, 34 and working at a water park. Um, he then kind of sends Duncan on his way they get back to the house and they're leaving for the summer and 
and there's like this one last scene at the water park that kind of like makes good on this pretty funny bit about passing people in a slide um it was the movie was would have been more enjoyable had I not had to think about it afterwards what do you mean like, the movie was fine as a sum of its parts, but when you look at all the parts separately, it doesn't, it's not really a great movie. I kind of felt the same, a little bit the same way of Kings of Summer. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. There were just certain, I mean, I find it interesting that they came out the same year. Yeah. And that Moonrise Kingdom came out just a year later. Yeah. And so, clearly we were, there was a time when we were really all about teens Running well, away. <laughs> what I want to talk about is it's not just the running away part, but I think what's interesting about these movies, um, well, yeah, because I should clarify, he he runs away to the water park, like his parents have no idea that he that's where he goes every right. day. Right, they just which is like so wild to me. Yeah, so it's not, not the same as like running away to the woods, but he's just gone every day. But there is no this idea. idea that he's sort of skirting their authority by not telling them that yes. he literally got a summer job. Right. <laughs> like Which he, the logistics he gets a paycheck. Like, you need to get a parent's signature <laughs> work papers. Um, yeah, I think, and, you know, he kind of, he does come into his own at the water park. They all come into their own in different ways on these kind of, like, escapes. But I think the thing that's really interesting about this movie, and I think that we haven't really had happen since we did One Great Day, is that all the protagonists are male, and they're all within this, like, 12 to 15-year-old, like, eight. none of them can drive. Yeah. None of them can drive, which is, like, kind of a point in um, both The Way, Way Back and Kings of Summer. And so I think that that is very interesting that we had this, like, small amount of time in, where things were getting produced in Hollywood that was about adolescent male sensitivity yeah. and rebellion that wasn't, like, this, like, hyper-masculine thing, and it was about, the, the like, the inner worlds of these men, or these young men, and I don't think we're making, I think that this was, like, a weird little blip. Yeah. But I'm kind of remiss, because they're all fun movies. And they're great, and it was, it was nice to see a movie where you have these boys' inner thoughts, and they're, they're being so introspective. Yeah. And dealing with such heavy emotions and, and heavy family stuff. And they're mm-hmm. not, there, there isn't like the rebel without a cause thing where they're just going to like jump on their motorcycle and go like get into a fight. Right. They're like, I have to deal with these feelings. And the way that I do it is by running into the woods or getting a job, getting a job at a water park and just trying to find role models. Right. Whether it's in myself or my friends or the cool guy at the water park. Yeah. I think we, yeah, I thought it was just unusual and refreshing and I'm having a hard time thinking of any movies that have come out since that. Because the thing about these movies is like there are love interests in all of them and in Moonrise Kingdom is probably the most like romantic of them all yeah. even though in the, the kings of summer it's like the tension arises over a girl like the narratives are not romantically driven and it i i contend that moonrise kingdom is the same it's more about these two kids who feel really lost mm-hmm. and in each other find companionship and someone to see you right and that's kind of what 
they all that's what in kings of summer they find that in nature in being with their friends in the way way back he finds that in being around people who have just like a different perspective and want to listen to the things that he says and treat him like a human right instead of he's trash yeah and i will say there was a lot of moonrise kingdom does have to deal with the same themes of like family and identity and wanting a family or wanting to get as far away from your family yeah. as possible and there's that great scene between sam and Susie where Susie's like i kind of wish i was an orphan because you guys have such interesting lives yeah and he goes I love you, but you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, I love you too. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that scene. It's such a good scene because you do. You could just tell that Sam's like, I, I want to like respect this girl's opinion, but she, is, has, she does not want to be an orphan. She has no idea right. how terrible that is. Well, and so I think that, I mean, Wes Anderson always writes like over serious characters and I think the other characters are in the other movies are also over serious, but like on their own terms. Like Moonrise Kingdom is clearly the writing of like a forty-five-year-old man. On rewatch, I have to say the soundtracks of these movies really stood out for me for a few reasons. One, Wes Anderson always has great soundtracks, yeah. and like now I just want to listen to the Moonrise Kingdom soundtrack for the rest of the weekend. Two, um, in The Way Way Back, they played Ben Queller, which I just don't think you understand, like, hearing Ben Queller play in Marshfield was, like, a really weird thing for me, where I was like, what? Are they looking into my life? Like, it was so weird. Um, and then in Kings of Summer, they play a lot of MGMT, yeah. which, it's funny because I feel like in 2013, I was also... Like, I feel like, when did Kids come out? In, like, not the movie, but the album. I feel like, like that came 2007. Out maybe a little later than that. Because I listened to that a lot my freshman year of college. I was in... No, you're right. I think it did. I was I in Ireland when that... I listened to that song all the time. But that album, I feel like, lasted all of college. Like, sure. I feel like MGMT's Kids album was the Released anthem of... October 13th, 2008. Okay. All right, so that makes sense because that means that it came out. I didn't, and it, it didn't get on my radar until I was a freshman in college. Um, the songs, the song, the way that they use those songs in Kings of Summer is like in my mind's eye how I was experiencing those songs, like these like beautiful sunny lazy days, yeah. like, um, and so I yeah, I mean I listen to kids biking around yeah. like California or Perfect. like you know all I went to who did I see I like went to Treasure Island Music Festival and saw oh my God. MDMT and uh Passion Pit and, yeah Animal Collective yeah yeah I mean those I feel were like, like big... too old to go to a um MGMT concert at this point in my life, but I'm I don't need. Say. I just don't need it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Is I keep wanting to go to concerts, and all my friends are like, "I'm too tired." <laughs> I mean, I mean, I did go to the uh, Prospect Park on Friday, but well, I went to Prospect Park on Friday you, for Iron and Wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was with Laura. I was with Emma and Billy. Oh Shout God. out to Emma and Billy. Shout out to Laura. Laura doesn't listen. Emma listens, I think, right? Yeah. I hope. Well, she does now. Um, it was good. 
we were also talking about Laurel. There was one song, and Laurel was like, "Man, I used to blast this song when I was ready to go back to college, like in the summers." I know. I really like their new album, though. And that Friday night in Prospect Park was such a beautiful way to like kick off this summer weekend of summer movies. It was like just lovely, and it really got me into the mood for these movies. And I was thinking, like, Nick Offerman is. Obviously, everyone knows him as Ron Swanson, mm-hmm. and he plays a dad in another film that I hope you do about him and his oh, daughter yeah. start a band. Um, in Red Hook. It takes place in Red Hook. I think we should do that one. But I remember seeing Nick Offerman in college, or maybe it was, no, I was in law school, because he came to University of Wisconsin to do, like, a one-man whatever. Like, it wasn't even, like, a comedy tour. It was more like a life lessons, mm-hmm. and it was... I actually think he, I think that was like a tour that he did. Yeah. Like Life Lessons with Nick Offerman. That or makes something sense. like that. Yeah. It, well, like How to Be a Man with, it was something like Yes. That. And I don't know if he and Megan Mullally have kids. I don't they think don't. so. Okay. Um, but he is such a good dad. Like, mm-hmm. I was watching, like, it's like. Well, I think the thing about a good comedian is that they have. And Steve Carell, this is why I think Steve Carell also plays such a good bad guy, is because they, I think a very good comedian understands, like, human tragedy better than anybody else does, and they, like, play off of that for humor. yeah. And that's why, like, did you see Vice? Mm-hmm. Like, that's why Steve Carell is so good as, like, Donald Rumsfeld. Oh, God. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just, like, because they just, like, lean into this, like, tragic thing, like, like, to be a good bad guy, you're the definition of not in on the joke. Yeah. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. to be the heel in every scene, you're just like, well, I get the joke as an actor, and now I'm going to pretend that I have no clue what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, Nick Offerman does that so well. And when I was at whatever this How to Be a Man show that I went to, I remember two things. I remember him saying, everyone should have a hobby. Mm-hmm. You have to get a hobby, whether it's woodworking or gardening or whatever. Like, find a hobby. What's your that's, hobby? Oh, this podcast? <laughs> this is definitely one of them. I arguably have too many hobbies. I should maybe tone it down a little bit. Watching TV is my hobby. <laughs> and playing basketball and softball. Right. Reading. Yeah. Podcasting. Teaching yourself how to play California on the keyboard. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But the other one was... Swimming in lakes, making pies. (laughs) The other one was uh, have a really good cornbread recipe. And I just thought that was such good advice. Because cornbread is universally loved. Beloved. It goes with sweet or savory. Mm -hmm. It's a really easy thing to make. You don't need that many ingredients. And you can make it into a skillet in your cabin. And it's like you you just have the best meal of your life. Goes great with eggs. Okay. We're going to move on now. (laughs) Welcome to our cornbread podcast. Moving on. So there was a bit of synergy in the way, way back to some other teen movies that really caught both of us off guard with shock and delight. Yes, there is a scene where Sam Rockwell, who's working at the water park, says, I need a hero because well, they're... no, wait, take a step back. There are these three kids that are obsessed with, at the water park, who are obsessed with the concept of passing someone on this water slide. Yes. It's like this going bit. And all of the other patrons are like, 
kind of cheering them on or like enthused about this because they're all like preteens and teens. And so they go to do it and they get stuck. There's three kind of chubby adolescent boys stuck in this water slide. And Sam Rockwell's like, I'll get it. Remember, I'll, we'll figure this out. Remember you signed a waiver. And then he walks. I mean, I'm assuming most people have been to a water park where, you know, you're at the top of a slide. So he walks to the edge of the slide. And so the entire scene is filmed with him looking down amongst children in line. And he says, says, I need a hero. I'm looking out for a hero. To the end of the night. He's got to be strong. He's got to be tough. No? Footloose? He's got to be seen larger it? than life? That famous scene with the tractor and Kevin Bacon? That song's playing? No? Footloose? Did anyone see the remake? That was the line <laughs> that just killed me. Because I was like, I have seen Footloose. And I have also kind of seen the remake. And it was because that tractor scene is literally now one of my favorite scenes in all of teen movies. I agree. Maybe film in general. And it just, I was like, this podcast is just, it's just a rewarding itself. Yeah, it felt like the universe patted us on the back. For doing our homework. Yeah. And really just getting those teen movies and all all of the many influences that they've had. And we'll get into awards in a minute, but my love for Sam Rockwell, I as I said to you earlier, I think has been going on since I was a teenager. When he, a preteen, when he was in Charlie's Angels, uh, he was and like he the, the bad guy. Yeah, he was the bad guy. But he was so slick and like sexy in that, and I fucking and love Sam Rockwell. And like I, yeah, I also love Sam Rockwell, and I think he's like, <laughs> this sucks to say. I think he's, like, one of the good guys in Hollywood. Like, I feel like people like working with him, and he's, like, not a jerk, and he stands up for things he believes in. Yeah. But also, the characters he plays are just so... He's such a good actor. He just takes very one-dimensional characters and makes them great. Like, really, really great. Um, But, yeah, that scene was spectacular. Yeah, and just really... Just really affirmed what we're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> the teen movie universe, you know, has rewarded us. Absolutely. It was, if you will, it was like a Marvel Easter egg. Yes, totally. That's a good. That's a good way of putting it. Shall we move on to what? What did you feel that was the most true to life teen moment? Well, I grew up in Wisconsin, and there was this place called the Wisconsin Dells, which I guess I've the, heard of the Wisconsin. Okay, Dells. the most apt comparison I can make is it's like it's the Jersey Shore but in Wisconsin yeah. so no beach but lots of lakes and well there's beaches at lakes were there no beaches there I mean not or like no, ocean like, I'm right, saying right, right, like right, 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 you know right. but there is Noah's Ark America's largest oh, water park and it was like the thing to do you went there on class trips oh. you went there with your family you went there with your friends it was it, and it still is. I haven't been back in a while. I would like to go back. Is one of the greatest Joyous. things to do in the summer is go to a water park because the, just the idea of like being. I don't like water parks. And like I think because you Wait, had a I think because you had an I ocean. Had an ocean, but also my parents were like, my parents were the type of people who are the root cause of every anxiety I have, and then are like, why are you so anxious? I'm oh like, wow! I don't know. Maybe because you said the people poop in pools on water parks. <laughs> yeah, but you know, people poop. Yeah, poop, poop a lot of places. <laughs> okay, moving on. 
I mean, my most true to life moment was obviously the fact that I spent my literal teenage years at the beaches that the way way back took place on. Um, but I also thought that the dynamic between the boys in and the girls in Kings of Summer was just a like they were all teenagers they're talking to each other like teenagers they're having emotional reactions the way that teenagers do and I just thought that that was like great and that's kind of there's like two types of great teen movies I feel like that we've realized maybe three the first is the 90s Freddie Prince Jr. Julia Stiles teen movie which is just like the gold standard of of fun haha teen movie and you and, and in terms of like it's not relatable not relatable like, at all right no it's like a shiny Hollywood hot teen factory yeah exactly yeah. exactly i want i put up their ym magazine yeah. yeah then there's a second type which i don't think i probably would have found in my teen years but appreciate as an adult which is this like quieter, more character-driven coming-of-age coming of age story. And that's what I think um, all Kings of these Summer. Yeah, all yeah. of these movies yeah. really are. Um, the third would be, like, the Footloose tractor scene, which is just like, this is nuts, yeah. and I love it! Just, like, the total campy yeah. teen movies. Totally. Like, um, if we were to do Grease, yeah. like, that's a different category. Right. Dirty yeah. Dancing, different category. Right. right. Um... But, like, Lords of Dogtown falls into the great teen movie. I guess that was a male protagonist. That would probably rank well with these. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it felt very, like, very similar vibes. Yeah. Of, like, we are, like, we're going to be on summer vacation for the next 20 years kind of thing. Like, this is... Wouldn't that be nice? But, you know, the, none of these kids in these summer getaway, paradise, whatever, like... They weren't, they didn't really seem to be, like, enjoying themselves all that much. No. Like, it was fraught with issues, like, every single scene. There's there were a, a couple of, like, f- like carefree moments, but for the most part, they were, they never had that, like, Lords of Dogtown where they are like, right. we, like, Kings of Summer felt very, like, an inappropriate title because they, they were suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Like, their summer kind of sucked. <laughs> it's true. Um, that brings me to my least true to teen life moment, is that we're supposed to believe that they built this fucking house, yeah. after he can't even build a birdhouse in the I, opening yeah. scene. Yeah. What? what? The birdhouse was not necessary to have the, like, his summer job, he, he, I don't know, there were so many ways to set up these construction skills, or what have you, yeah. that they just didn't do. Yeah. So. And, right, like, he could have had, like, a summer job as a, like, yeah. building houses or something, or whatever. I do appreciate that they went to Boston Market to get their dinner. Amazing. That was really amazing money. Though. They like founded they took went through the woods as far as they could go and they just ended up by a highway because where they were, the woods weren't that thick. Right. And then they saw Boston Market and were like, that's dinner. <laughs> yeah. They bought like twelve chickens. <laughs> so um, I appreciated that. What was your least true life moment? I had the same thing. Like it's actually them being able to survive in the woods for like four weeks they were gone. Yeah. That was just kind of... And, and suspension of disbelief. If they had set up his wilderness skills a lot more, like, the thing in Moonrise Kingdom is you're like, I believe this kid yes. could actually make and he it. he was prepared. Yeah. Like, he has all of the things. He has this training. He's a Boy Scout. Like, he can do it. This kid, I was like, no. he's not going to last 48 hours. And he did. 
kind of yeah, did. I mean, he did, but um do you have a get out of my room award for best expression of teen angst? I think when I want to call him Love Simon, but I know that's not his Joe. Joe. I think when Joe flips out on Kelly and Patrick. Yeah. And is like it's either when he flips out on Kelly and Patrick or when he flips out on his dad and calls his dad's girlfriend Carol <gasps> the spider woman from the sewer. <laughs> and then calls the cops. Yeah. Those were Yeah, those were good ones. Um I also want to note that the that was also my true t- my best get out of the room award was between Patrick and Joe. But I also want to call out that 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 conflict arose around a game of Monopoly. And there's also a huge conflict in the way way back around a game of Candyland. Yes. And I come from a board game loving family. My, like my extended family. Yeah. Um, Matt comes from a board game loving family. The fights that arise, or, I mean, the fights in all of these are bigger fights that, as in all of these, are kind of like funneled through the board games. Yeah. But in my teen life and adult life, board games create, create the major fights. The yeah. only conflicts I've ever had with Matt's siblings, with Matt's sisters, who I get along with famously, have been over like technicalities in rummy cube well it, that's the thing it sounded like you know tony collette was just like can I, we just play this dumb game and not really care about who wins and steve Krell's like we have to have rules we have to have i know life without rules is it was just like a very um i actually know that molly and mike listen to this podcast so molly i'm sorry but i know that we've had some <laughs> i just i think like board games really bring out people's true personalities just in terms of like the way they see the world and <laughs> no yes well people like rules or they don't well not not just that but like the way that people play board games is oh, definitely yeah. a reflection of well we like the way that matt plays Catan, the blythe and her boyfriend <laughs> and my boyfriend and a lot of our other friends love to play settlers of Catan. we're like as a, a, a living brooklyn do. cliche but my boy i mean my boyfriend is almost he almost makes me miserable to play Catan with him because he just showboats the entire time he like stands up and surveys the board at his every turn puts his hands on his hips he's like hmm what do I want to do now like he's the reason that he we will have to o- use like a stopwatch he will only do two for one trades he will never yeah, <laughs> no, take less than two. sorry this is not Ugh. a Catan podcast but it's but it's if we're talking funny. about how people see the world coming out in Board games, and that means that Matt is like an incredibly smug person, and I don't think <laughs> I'm just—it's not like it's just you can tell a lot about someone by playing a board game with them. It's I'll, true. That's all I'll it's say. It's true. It's all true. I'll say. I love Matt. I love playing Catan with Matt. Matt usually takes the heat off of me, which is why I love playing with him. People he, don't like playing with you because you always win, <sighs> and you're always the resource center. It's lonely at the top. What oh can my I say? God. <laughs> Anyways, I just really was tickled by, like, two big family arguments. Um, I have a weird Peter Fascinelli and Jason award to Ooh, give I like that. Um, I feel like we should give it to Bruce Willis. Yeah, so, that seems very fair. I mean, he never, he wasn't a teen actor, but he was kind of, like, when he was in Moonlighting and in Die Hard. I don't really know when Bruce Willis was, like, a heartthrob in his youth. Because I still feel like Bruce Willis is a heartthrob in his adulthood. I feel like he's kind of low-key like Paul Rudd in that he hasn't aged. Like, he looks 
the same right. in since Die Hard. Since he's, but, since he's shaved his head, he yeah. looks the same. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. We don't have a Soccer Channing Award because... They're all teens. They're all teens. Which is our favorite. It's our, yeah. it's our favorite. They, they've done a really good job. Um, I didn't have any crushes. I just... Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. <laughs> yeah. Who's not a teen. Yeah. Um, we don't have any superlatives to give out to people. But we do have an award to give out to, like, the best teen escape. Was yeah. it Water Wiz? Was it The House in the Woods? Which, actually, the movie was going to be called Toy's House, because his name is Joe right. Toy. Yeah. I like um, Kings of Summer better. Yeah. And then... More evocative. Or Moonrise Kingdom. So, I... Well, it's hard to say, because, like, New Penzance Island is a complete right. fictional place. And, like... But that just seemed... Like, a, the ideal. Yeah. Ideal. I mean, it was... It's so picturesque, because it's Wes Anderson created it. I agree with you. Yeah. But I think that if... Yeah, I mean, if I were a teen, and those are my options, like, I definitely would want to, like, run away with a cute Boy Scout in a canoe. That sounds great. To the beach? Yeah. Yeah. Although, yeah. I will say the water... I think you live with, like, a cute Boy Scout who would want to take you to the beach in a canoe. I say this with love He's not a and Boy affection... Scout. He does not have survival <gasps> wilderness skills. Okay. He is very street smart. He's yes. very smart, smart. I don't think that he knows how to make a fire with just, like, flint and... You know, I do think that he knows what he doesn't know, though, so he would take instruction well. That's true. But, I, you know... You're not bringing him with you. You're... I... <laughs> I can edit that. I would, I would love to take it with me. I'm just like, you know, a little bit of dead weight. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, do we, no. I don't think we have any prom kings or prom queens because it kind of exists outside of that. Yeah, there, there isn't, there was no like platonic ideal mm-hmm. of uh, teen, even like teen romance. It was a little, I like this. This, these three movies were really off of. Both, like, very much in the, the vein of teen movie, mm-hmm. but also, like, completely different and, like, didn't have this, you know, hot boy, hot girl, you know, hot clothes, hot car. It was, like, very it, it, grounded. And based on my teen experience that did not have hot boys, hot girls, hot cars, anything like yeah. that, this was right. my teen experience. Yeah. It was, I, like, a lot of feelings because your parents are fucking nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother was a lovely person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that there should be any remakes of these films. No. I don't think that our parents could have allowed us to watch these movies because we were adults when they came out. But I do think that these would be really good movies for teenagers. Yeah, I think so too. And I will say that I wouldn't necessarily want any of these films remade, but I would love to see a female perspective movie like this where girl a group of girlfriends you know try to like find their personal paradise i think though that we see that and the focus isn't on the inner story so we see and i think that like that type of nuance is just not something that's going to make sense to studio heads for another 20 years i know i'm just saying if i I if i had my way we would get some cool like kind of like the babysitter's club but like take it up a notch yeah like well, we're going to do, this is a good segue um, into, we're going to have some schedule changes because we've got some 
vacations and holiday weekends coming up. But we're it's gonna summer break, y'all. It's summer break. But we're gonna have some mini sods for you. Yeah. And one of them is gonna be talking about um, great sleepover movies. And one of the movie like movies that we watched as te- preteens, teens at sleepovers. And one of them is Now and Then, which I think is a good... I think that is probably the closest thing we have to girls in our lives. I would agree. They have, like, the treehouse that they run to. They... Mm. Yeah. You're right. That's a great... Um, that's a great call. Yeah. Which movie did you think was the best teen movie? I think The Way, Way Back was the best one. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think... Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think it... The w- mostly because of Duncan. He just felt like a real teen that I have known or yeah. or and like felt ways that I have felt and and also with his not stepsister but you know the his mom's boyfriend's daughter and then the other girl even mm-hmm. though they didn't get a lot of time when they were on screen you could feel like there was like that little inner like mean girl thing happening oh, and yeah. that felt very true to true to teen life and yeah I think I also just like I just thought Way Way Back was so funny. Yeah, I loved Way Way Back, but I don't. Yeah, I just really liked King. I just really liked the way the Kings of Summer was shot, and I thought that gorgeous. That was great. Um, and I think that when I remember being a teenager, being younger than I am now, like even in my like in college summers, and like the. You remember it as, like, a kaleidoscope of memories and, like, sunstreaks, even though it's not that that way. Next week, we're not really sure. We've got some scheduling things to fix. We are enjoying our summers very much. Very much. Um, And we'll be spending time together, but we also don't necessarily have nine hours a week to watch mediocre teen movies. So, we have three minisodes coming your way in the next month. Um, we're really excited about these. One is going to be, like I said, about movies we watched at sleepovers. What's the other one? Oh, then Blythe and I went on a little field trip, um, which we'll talk about in in a minisode. We saw a movie on the field trip, but we can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. And then we're going to take a little bit of a, a, a sidestep from our teen movie podcast, and Blythe and I are going to rank our top 10 respective top 10 teen television shows um so those are going to be minisodes mostly for us to not have to rewatch a ton of movies while we're traveling and being present in the park and with families and things like that and then we'll be back with some movies about summer vacations summer travel summer love summer love it's gonna be great it's gonna be great so thank you for listening Leave us comments, voicemails. No one's left us a voicemail. My dad said he tried and he can't figure it out. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and we hope you're enjoying your summer. Yeah. We're going to have some sunburns and cold beers when we come back. Hell yeah. Bye. Bye.